0: Hey folks, this is Stephen Pitts, host of Black Work Talk, an organizing upgrade podcast. Here we look at efforts around the country to build the collective power of black workers. My brother, if you do, you can hear. Dear
1: friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network series, highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 80 shows in five countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I am produce Empathy Media Labs podcasts on labor, political economy, art, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Stephen Pitts, who is host of Black Work Talk, which is a show about building collective power of Black workers. Stephen, thanks for coming on. Could you talk a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what got you interested in organized labor?
0: First, I'm glad to be on the show. Um, today's kind of good day. It's been raining. I'm in Oakland, California. I'm reading a lot, so the sun's out today, so I'm glad to kind of spend part of my day with you, then other part outside walking around enjoying the air in a protected way, by the way but I'm from Chicago born and raised and grew up in what I call the 60s, good old days. And so that was part of my kind of the air I breathe in many ways idea of of radicalism and and, and politics. And went to Harvard as undergraduate. Uh, I got at high school in 70 and I graduated from Harvard in 74. I was involved in a lot of the different movements there for around black studies, black students, black community stuff, black liberation, anti-war stuff. And so for a lot of, a lot of us um, in college, as we got radicalized, we saw the importance of actual organizing workers to transform society fundamentally. That that's that important to have you know, other groups in motion, but we thought central to the idea of transforming society was the idea of organized workers themselves and organized black workers. And we thought that black workers in particular should be central to the idea of black liberation. And so for some of us, the way we operate, that, operate on that idea it's actually, you know, after college, for me at least, we got jobs in factories. And so it's a matter of going to Houston, Texas, I got a job in an oil tool factory. That was in 1974. And I was in that factory for about eight years. Um, um, it was organized by steel workers, and we did some good stuff. I did some stupid stuff. You know, at this point, I'm 21, 23, 24. You do good stuff, and dumb stuff is part of the territory. And I kind of followed the map in that regards. So
1: Harvard into labor. What what was Harvard like at that time, and just everything that was going on with the war, with uh, a lot of like the the Black Panthers and assassinations going on, and I, obviously Fred Hampton in Chicago. Uh, Chicago, um, Harvard, yeah. But what was kind of the scene there? I'm I'm always kind of curious about, you
0: know, it's such we this have, elite have a on the show. Um, so I want to keep, keep it relatively brief. So you know, I, I got there. I call it tail end of the good old days. You know, um, it's funny. I got there in the fall of '70. When we roll around to the spring semester of '71, there hadn't been spring fun exams in two years because you had the big student strike in the spring of '69 around the various kind of anti-war things. You had the the um, striking 70 around Cambodian invasion. And so kind of part of the, t- the idea was, well, it's spring. Do we have classes now? We don't normally don't have classes, right? So that's kind of in there at some level, not clear. everybody, in some level. I think that a lot of the people who were kind of student activists at Harvard had actually left either to do work down South, doing work in, in other parts of, of Boston. And so there's a small group of people still were doing radical stuff. You know, I kind of fell in with with, with the Black Student Union activists and doing different campaigns. And I found a set of friends who are my best friends to this day, um, who saw it's important to not just be there of of Harvard, but to be there to help try to learn things and change the world. And so we're involved in both campus politics, in particular, we're involved on the question of Harvard divestment in Gulf oil, because the Gulf oil is involved in Angola. And goals at that time, the colony of, of Portugal. Um, we also got involved off campus in, in supporting the Black Panthers in the survival programs. We helped staff some of the free breakfast programs they did and their liberating school, those sort of things. And got involved in some in African liberation support activity as well. And, and so Harvard for me was a good time, both in terms of a lot of growth, in terms of a lot of learning, and also in terms of developing good friendships as well. If I had to redo, i do it different, but you know, you can't be wise I when mean, you're 21 by definition, okay.
1: And then this uh work you were doing, uh you said Texas or Texas. and Texas. what what was that? And you said there was some some union activity. Which union was it? And
0: uh um well the, the plant that we were in was the Hughes Tool Company. And Hughes this how is Hughes by the way? Uh, I talk about they had a movie I guess maybe 10 years ago called The Aviator within you know, DiCaprio. At one point he said get money from my factory from my Hollywood films. Like, wait a second, that's my factory, my factory. I got excited in the, in the theater, right? But a Houston tool company, oil tool company made gra- tools to drill for oil and had been all kind the steel workers. And one thing that being young and dumb, not aware of is with a rich history actually and bringing the CIO there to, to, to Houston tool company in Houston. For, for, in the thirties, they actually had two unions, two company unions, one black, one white and in the early 40s, it's an attempt to actually bring the CIO to, to Hughes Tool Company. It, it lost initially, but you had a sense of history and union, unionization back to that time period. Um, in the early 60s, actually, there's a classic lawsuit filed by Black Works at the Hughes. They ended segregated unions explicitly. And so some people who were actually filed suit were still the company itself. And so this long history of, of activism there that we weren't fully aware of because we were what they call young and dumb. Now I don't want to cast a a brush on all young people, by the way, but my crew I'll say was young and dumb. I'll I'll commit to that at least. One way I talk about that in terms of our kind of um, youthful energy, kind of the good, is that some people we worked with actually organized a walkout in the 73 around the issue of Juneteenth. As you may know that, particularly in Texas, a very rich history of Black celebration or freedom. And so the, the idea was that why should we wait for the man to, to say we take a day off, we're gonna walk out. And so we helped organize the entire department walked out for Juneteenth, one of the good things we did. Some of the stupid stuff, we didn't realize that the, the, the steel workers in Houston had left the labor council over race, that around the divide over pro or con around civil rights the Steelworkers are one of the good people, good guys in Texas. We didn't realize that. We just threw stones because they're all trade union bureaucrats. And so um, the good things and bad things, yeah.
1: Live and learn, I guess. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so for those who may not be interested or aware of labor news, uh, why do you think unions and organized labor are important and should be covered?
0: Oh, wow. Um, that's a very broad question. Um, let me say two fundamental things to start with. I mean, One is the whole question of how you divide the pie up, basically. The thing of, of economic activity is making a pie, a big fat, you need the pie, apple pie, cherry pie, Boston cream pie, I don't care what it is, right? And the question who gets the share, who gets the pie? That's a battle around power. Um, we would talk about being wages, benefits, what you call it. That issue is a matter of power. And so, the extent that workers workers come together to work collectively, we get a a larger share of the pie. That's at one level. But also think beyond the idea of of dollars and cents. It's a matter of respect on the job and be able to deal with the question of of the arbitrary power of the supervisor or the boss, depending on the dragon we use the the day, over the worker, him or herself. And oftentimes, we get so wrapped up in the dollars and cents questions around unionization. We forget the question of dignity them a job. I, I talked to Bill Lucy on my last show on Black Work Talk, and Bill Lucy was an, an staffer for ASME in Memphis during the, the sanitation strike in '68. And he spoke of the fact how that strike really was a strike around recognition. It wasn't a strike around economics. It's the idea of saying the way a and the city of Memphis, you got to recognize us as a body to deal with. And to end the kind of the, the, the abusive powers of the boss. And to me, that's an important issue of the question of unions. How do you simply change the power dynamics on the shop floor? The whole question of actually work organization to be central. Oftentimes, because we focus on the first issue, the thousand cents, we can wrap up in policies and higher minimum wage and and, and Medicare for all. Important policies, by the way, but we can't let the drive for policies to to impact labor standards. Override the issue of actually changing the power in the shop floor itself.
1: Yeah. I grew up in this, you know, I, what I like to term as the Reagan arena. You know, like I was born in 78, and uh, the whole 40 years we've been in this Reagan arena, and we're moving My into. A new, by the way. Say that again. My condolences. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're moving into a new arena. And the question is is it going to be even more brutal, or is it going to be a little more humane i guess and but i do think there is a revolution that that is going on and during that 40 year of the reagan arena like people in my generation didn't really see labor at least in in many areas unless you were directly you know in a family with someone in a labor union or you're you know working on in in one of those unions as well it has changed and i think it's changing a lot but i i think a lot of the the labor news you know, there used to be labor news columns in all the newspapers and, you know, those went away. And so looking at your show, uh, could you talk a bit about your show and how it, you know, highlights labor and, and what it's about and how you came to start it?
0: Let me step back a second, and kind of deal with some things you said prior to the, the explicit question. You know, um, we have the, the, the peak of union density, the share of workers in unions was in the fifties. And the number was around 35%. If you think about the number in a a very kind of strange way, that going to your backyard and you look to your left, to your right, and three neighbors are talking. One of those folk were in unions through the workforce. So it meant that unions were deeply, deeply in the air we breathed. And clearly because the distribution wasn't random distributed in some neighborhoods everybody's in the union. And what happened starting really in the mid 70s was a sharp decline in unionization. Uh, We we bring it on Reagan, really it predates Reagan. We had really an age of inequality that began in the the mid seventies. So that's kind of the back to starting point that that the idea that folk of your generation don't know the union is not like your fault, by the way. Simple unions were less and less on the scene, basically. I thought, so at the labor, I I worked at the labor center at UC Berkeley for 19 years, started in, in 2001, retired in 2020. And um, for most of that time, my focus was on black workers and the issue of job quality. And we had kind of a, a frame that we said for the work saying a, there was a two-dimensional job problem in the black community, unemployment and low-wage work. And that frame was important because oftentimes when people speak of black job problems, they ha- highlight the issue of unemployment and you the issue of low-wage work. And the reality that most folk, black folk work, they are work in shitty jobs. And so we're trying to change how folk looked at the question of black work. And in some ways the show, black work talk, is an extension of that. But I think that there's a lot of dimensions of black worker issues, be it say data, data perspectives, be it from the issue of 3000 feet and big theory record perspectives, be it the issue of day-to-day problems, be it the issue of in unions, folks don't know about it at all we organized a a black union leadership school when I was working at the labor center. And one year we we had a joint sort of labor community on the membership there. And one sister was actively involved in the issue of policy around former incarceration. She's former incarcerated. She loved the program because in her policy world and her kind of coalition world, all she met were were union folk were white folks. And she knew black folks were in unions at all until she came to our class and met people and draw bonds and relationships. So I think that amongst a lot of parts of our society, the idea of black unionists is not a real life question. So I think the idea that the show can project the question of black workers and black views and our working class views in different ways is a central focus of what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah, that's, it, at the UC Berkeley Center, uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I see there's universities that have created and carved out these niche uh, areas where they are promoting greater consciousness of union and organized labor and labor history. And there's, there's also uh, labor archivists that are um, all over the United States and um, some of them are underfunded. And, and I, I am curious about your experience at uc berkeley and trying to look at how we can kind of widen the uh the labor education as well and and through that lens
0: yeah um i call it a blessed job you know um i have a variety of skills and interests um my basic interest is social change you know um i'm a trained economist i'm Dr. Pitts, researcher, you know, I taught in the community college for 15 years in Houston after I left the factory. So I enjoyed education as well. And the labor center gave me a chance to meld those interests together. And we were all rolling in the same direction for the cause. So it's it's like an ideal job. I couldn't design a real job. There'd be better than that, to be honest. But it's important to recognize that our existence is because of labor and because of power once again that really the origin of the labor center comes come out of the post-World War II era of industrial relations and trying to look at how we can get labor and capital to get, get along better. In mid 60s, the, the labor movement in California thought that the institute was getting a bit too academic as they pushed for the creation up at UC Berkeley and at UCLA of the labor centers. that be more of an outreach arm to bring kind of the skills of the university to the labor movement and broader community. You know, folk would think they're they're doing good things for several decades, and at a certain point, the thought was maybe to sunset out of existence, the labor centers, and because of the power of labor and the surplus in state budget in California, they had a a major increase in the funding for labor centers. I wanna say that first of all, that the source of good work comes from power. It didn't come from smart people, it didn't come from nice people, it comes from power itself. And to the extent that we want to expand the, the, the reach of labor, be it labor education, labor organizing, whatever you want to call it, it's sourcing the question how, to, how can we build power sufficient to achieve what we want to achieve? I say oftentimes that the right, in the 90s started to say that two plus two is five, what can you do about it? And we didn't have the power to say, I don't think so, two plus two is four. And we saw this today with the lies that, that Trump his ilk set up the elections. This is the question of power. So because the power of the labor movement in California, we saw the labor system existing. And normally when you look around across the country, those universities have strong labor centers in some form. You'll see that probably fairly strong with the labor movement as well.
1: So talking about the labor radio podcast network, how did you hear about it? And uh, we're constantly looking to expand it. You know, we're, we're in five countries right now. And how, how did you come about it? And um, why do you think this network is
0: important? Well, to be honest, you found me. <laughs> I was, I was sure all of a sudden I'm trying to start the podcast and see what's happening. And all of a sudden I get a letter, hey, we're the Labor Radio Podcast Network. You want to join? Sounds cool. You know, so literally you found me. Um, I didn't know you exist until you found me. It's a very good thing you're doing, though, by the way, because um, I think that the, the, the clear value and when having various forms of radio and being an old head, podcasting radio, by the way, okay, it's important to, ha- to have that. And to the that you can network the, the, the acti- activity, it will increase the, 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 the scale and the quality of the work. So I'm excited to be a part of the network.
1: And uh, if you hear of other ones that we can kind of poach and recruit as well, you know, definitely share that because we're working to constantly expand and and support each other. So in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope?
0: Wow. Um, I think you see kind of green shoots in a lot of different areas, you know? Um, you see both the, the consistent sort of fighting around teacher union organizing and healthcare as well, that predates the current crises. Unfortunately, because of the, the activity of teachers and nurses, we're in a strong position now during the pandemic. So I think those are two sectors, we see some, some, some clear possibilities and, 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 and good things happening. I mean, you're seeing the bubbling around tech workers, um, and actually it's this different dimensions, both kind of the tech workers, meaning who does, who makes the codes, right? But it's also part of tech that actually fuels tech with the janitors and service workers. And we see being organizing in those areas as well, both from, say from both dimensions, both kind of from the service worker dimension and from kind of the, 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 the tech, tech worker dimension. That's clearly positive. We see some, I won't quite call them green shoots, but we see a lot of things happening on Amazon which is important. Um, Amazon and Walmart are the big monsters we got to conquer. It's going to be incredibly difficult, but um, it's going to happen. Um, they, they, if you go back in the history, folks said that you couldn't organize GM, couldn't organize Ford. Right? And we flayed those monsters. And so it will happen again. So that's very promising. I think the fact that people younger than you <laughs> um, Coming up away from the, 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 the crush of Reagan and the crush of the Red Scare means that ideas are more open around socialism and opposing capitalism that didn't exist before, they're kind of constraints. And that kind of freeing the mind by itself is also a, a, a very positive setting for today. And so I think that those are clearly important things to, to, to understand. I think people are seeing the connection of, of, of race and, and capitalism which is a positive thing. But I think one thing that happened in the Red Scare was kind of the, the fissure between civil rights and labor in some ways, for sure intellectually, and, and kind of um, in, t- in terms of regulations as well. It's coming together more and more, which is going to strengthen both movements in many ways. Um, so those are all some, some positive things. It's gonna be hard by the way, because moving to new territory. And also it's hard because you have kind of the federal government fundamentally against what we're doing, different degrees that that's against us. And with the federal government, that ways would make it harder to do good union organizing, not impossible. We need the federal government be, to kind of stand down in some ways. Um, and when, when they stand down, it'd be impossible to have better and better, more richer organizations success. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years, and they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand, none of us are free, none of us are free. None of us are free, none of us are free, none of us are free, none of us are free if one of us is chained, none of us are free. There are people in darkness, they just can't see the light. If we don't say it's wrong, then that says it's right. We got to feel for each other. Let our brothers know we're here Got to get the message Send it out all loud and clear None of us are free None of us are free Isn't very hard to find None of us can find
1: it on our
0: own We got to join together Spirit, heart, and mind So all
1: the souls who are suffering Know that